Hey everyone, happy 4th of July. Uh, today is July 4th, and this is the Sunday, the fifth Sunday after Pentecost, or will be the weekend of the fifth Sunday after Pentecost in ordinary time. We are in the Gospel of Matthew this week, and as I speak, Joey Chestnut, the hot dog eating champion of the world, is mowing through what looks to be maybe like 80 hot dogs. So we'll see if he breaks the record. Uh, it's a tra- it's a tradition in the prior household that we watch Joey Chestnut dip hot dogs into water every fourth. I mean, what's more American than uh, dipping hot dogs into water in front of people? So, uh, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, please Google Joey Chestnut, Nathan, famous Nathan's uh, hot dog eating contest. Uh, you won't be disappointed, but if you have a weak stomach. Um, yeah, I'll leave it up to you. So happy 4th of July. Uh, we're still doing this from home for the foreseeable future. Uh, I know some churches are getting back to gathering in person, but as you know, cases are going up in Los Angeles, cases are going up in California, and almost every state across the country. So um, until those cases start to go down significantly and we really start to make progress on this thing, um, we still have no plans on getting back together, uh, for uh, Sunday morning church or Wednesday night. We have one more Wednesday night and then we have a outdoor tentative social distance happy hour. Uh, but obviously that's uh, tentative as well. If cases continue to go up, uh, we'll probably push that back into later in the summer. We also want to do a summer hike, social distance style, everybody wear masks. Um, and that's on the calendar for, uh, the end of July, beginning of August, and we'll just treat that the same way. If cases are still high at that point, we'll push that back as well. So that's kind of where we're at. Um, still doing this. Uh, things usually slow down for us at Mission Hills in the summer anyway, so we'll continue to, uh, we'll kind of be on break. I know people are going on vacation. Um, so we will do Sunday morning Zoom, 10 a.m. as always, one more week of Zoom uh, on Wednesday night. Uh, this week we'll finish Brian McLaren's book, The Great Spiritual Migration, and then we'll be off uh, for the rest of the summer until uh, the week after um, the, the Wednesday after Labor Day. So that's September 9th. So hopefully at that point we'll see what the world looks like. We might do um, outdoor gatherings if that on Wednesdays if that is suitable and if things look safe at that time, which hopefully they do because we all want to get back to uh, our lives and eating and enjoying each other's company and um, all the things that we'd like to do um, as a community at Mission Hill. So that's kind of what uh, things look like here. Uh, For this Sunday, like I said, it is the fifth Sunday after Pentecost in Ordinary Time. We're in the Gospel of Matthew. And our question for this week is going to be, what controls your life? What controls your life? And I guess right now, uh, the pandemic controls all of our lives, but maybe at a deeper level, what controls your life? And think about what comes to mind uh, when you hear that question. Um, And I want to look at this morning, you know, how are we doing? How are we to be um, not only in the time of uh, the pandemic, but just ourselves, Um, to maybe become a little bit more uh, in tune or self-aware about what's going on um, in our lives and within us. Um, If you can hear that, that's uh, just um, someone mowing. 
Uh, and it made me... It made me think of this question in terms of our lectionary reading this week because uh, the professor Bruce Molina from Creighton University, um, whenever he was writing about this passage that we're going to to read this morning, um, he's talking about the word yoke, and you might you might be familiar with the. Uh, the biblical term uh, in the in Matthew 11 in the Gospels, where he says, uh, you know, Jesus says, "My yoke is easy and my burden is light." And what um, what uh, Bruce, uh, you know, Professor Bruce Molina uh, talks about is he says um, that this was um, really a, a way of saying, uh, asking for people, a yoke is used metaphorically for what controls people as they make their way in life. Yoke is a term used for what controls people as they make their way in life, uh, metaphorically speaking. So that will be our passage for today, and I'll read it in a minute. But I wanted us to think um, out of the jump this morning, uh, what controls your life? If we're going to be thinking about yokes and we're going to be thinking about this passage today, um, then our question might be something like, what controls your life. Uh, and I'll, I'll share a picture um, that one of my professors uh, shared this week. Um, and it's a it's a person leaning over a coffee table with a drink on the table. And there's a couple of phones sitting on the table. And it's a it's an abstract piece where this person is split and divided, looking down at his phone, looking at his phone in his hand, looking at his phone uh, again over at the side of in his hand. And the quote in the middle of the, the piece of art is to be is to be connected. To be is to be connected. Uh, and I think for so much of us in the modern time, especially during the pandemic, um, when we can't be connected with people physically, uh, we get a sense of our identity, I think pandemic or no pandemic, through our connection um, digitally, through the phone, um, or through the internet, through Zoom. Uh, and so much of what we understand ourselves as, um, uh, how we understand ourselves ontologically, um, being wise, is through our connection, right? So, uh, just want to offer that as a um, a reflection to see if if there's anybody that identifies with that notion that to be is to be connected. Um, and then so much of that is mediated now through technology. Okay, our gospel text is Matthew 11. Uh, I cut off the first part uh, just because it's a little bit lengthy of a, a lectionary reading. So we're going to do 25 through 30, and I'm reading out of the message this morning. Abruptly, Jesus broke into prayer. Quote, Thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You've concealed your ways from sophisticates, and know-it-alls, but spell them out clearly to ordinary people. Yes, Father, that's the way you like to work, end quote. Jesus resumed talking to the people, but now tenderly, quote, the Father has given me all things to do and say. This is a unique father-son operation, coming out of the father and son intimacies and knowledge. No one knows the son the way the father does, nor the Father the way the Son does. But I'm not keeping it to myself. I'm ready to go over it line by line with anyone willing to listen. Are you tired? 
worn out, burned out on religion, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. The word of the Lord. All right, well, uh, this is a, one of my favorite, uh, I think one of my favorite texts from, from the Gospels, and I really love how uh, Eugene Peterson writes the, the end portion of this. Uh, I think I first came into, um, I, I first thing I came into contact with this reading when I was in high school, this, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion bit, and that really... I don't know. For some reason, that has always stuck with me. And I know some people are a little confused. I've read this in church a few times um, by that interpretation or that phrasing. And, and maybe we'll get to that. But uh, one of the things that I like, like about this is that it is, um, you know, what Eugene Peterson does in the message is, is typically try to um, expand the gospel text. So it's not a word for word, literal translation of the text, but he tries to expand it, uh, in a little bit to its, its context and to, um, to capture an emotional resonance, uh, within the text. So I think this is an instance where he, he does that, that really well. Um, you know, perhaps we can, um, you know, quibble or argue about, um, whether or not, uh, that's, contextually what Jesus is trying to reference, if he's trying to reference um, religion um, or not. You know, there, there are, are scholars who, who disagree with this uh, translation and, and interpretation. But uh, in the context, I think it's really, really helpful. Because uh, if you notice, he, he's talking to somebody at the beginning of this uh, passage, and really he's rebuking a form of uh, religiosity within the the broader culture that is oppressive, and right before the the text, you know, he has some lines of basically saying the uh, you know these Gentile cities will be better off than these um, these really like um, historic and storied uh, Jewish cities, and you know, so he's he's making and leveraging a you know cultural and religious critique, and and then he has at the beginning of this, I don't know, it's like the most passive-aggressive prayer ever. <laughs> he says, Jesus abruptly broke into prayer. He's like, thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You've concealed your ways from all these know-it-all religious folks and spelled out your ways to ordinary people. It's like the most passive-aggressive prayer ever, um, which is one of the reasons why I, you know, Jesus is just hilarious and, and great and so full of, of meaning and uh He's just a fascinating. He's a fascinating person because he he is not like he's snarky, and then he right after that, you know, twenty verse twenty seven says Jesus resumed talking to people, but now tenderly. Um, and so I just I love how this story has a bunch of stuff. So anyway, so when we get to the end of the text, you know, it says like, "Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion?" He's, he's really getting something to what's going on in, in the whole chapter of, of Matthew 11. And one of the critiques in, in the lectionary passage that we didn't read from this morning is earlier in Matthew 11. Um, it would have made the text really long. But basically, um, Jesus is being accused of loose living. 
He's being accused uh, like he's been like he's accused a lot of times in the Gospels, eating with tax collector collector <laughs> tax collectors uh, in sinners. Um, and you know Jesus has some refrain that's like you know John the Baptist was too strict, right? He went out in the wilderness. He was like you know dressed in fur and ate honey and you know was kind of a weird guy. But he was like um, you know a you know he was um, way too strict. You know, that's that's the critique that Jesus is responding to. And then he's saying, but like you 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 think I'm not strict enough. Like I'm too I'm too loose living. I'm eating with sinners, I'm eating with tax collectors. Uh so which is it? Do you do you want somebody who is going out into the wilderness and um you know is a complete Luddite? Or uh is it not good enough that I am expanding uh seats at the table and I'll eat with anyone? Um so that's kind of how he's uh, addressing this group of people is in the context of that. So today, I, I really just want to um, look at what 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 kind of life is is Jesus um, proposing as an alternative, right to the to the life that these uh, religious people were um, trying to point people towards. Jesus is saying, "Hey, hey, hey! No, no! Like this is a sure way to to burn out. You're." You're being too critical of somebody who is um, kind of a religious prophet who swears off everything, and you're being uh, you're being against uh, the sort of loose living of opening the table to everybody. So, what is the path? Because you know, I don't hear Jesus critiquing um, John's way of being in here, so I don't think it's necessarily what Jesus is proposing is a prescriptive way of living. But I do want to kind of. Uh, offer for us today uh, an opportunity for us to reflect on how are we living, what to to you and to me, to me individually, and what controls our life. How 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 does any of this have to do with um, the gospel or the story and um, the proposal for what Jesus is offering here? I, I do think it's interesting here that um, the the message calls uh, Jesus's uh, middle paragraph address uh, tender. Uh, how how is tenderness viewed in our culture? Uh, I think that's a, a kind of quality that is not often valued. But those are the kinds of things that I want to propose or, or look at today. That maybe what Jesus is um, offering is a, a, a kind of way of being, an approach to life that is is not necessarily prescriptive in um, you know eating with tax collectors and sinners or swearing off all material things and going living in the woods. Like maybe maybe it's both, right? It's not one or the other. But what is the approach? And and I like this. Um, pointing us towards the qualities of life that that Jesus has here, and we might just easily read over that. Um, but what if we stopped on those kinds of words like tenderness and said, "Okay, well, what does it mean to be uh, tender today? What does it mean to live with tenderness uh, like Jesus is demonstrating here?" Uh, because if you if we look at his um, passage here, you know he says, you know about this this way of being, he says, I'm not, I'm not keeping it to myself. Like Jesus is offering a way of being that is available and open to everyone. 
Uh, and I think this is taught in churches um, in kind of the, the salvific way, right? Like salvation is open to everybody. All you have to do is pray and ask Jesus into your heart, and uh, you can follow Jesus. And I don't think that that's at all what Jesus proposes, and I don't think that's at all what you see in this text. Uh, what he's saying is, uh, I have an intimacy with with God. No one knows the Son the way the Father does, nor the Father the way the Son does. Uh, so there, there's this intimacy to his connection. Um, you know, at the beginning of this, I kind of said, you know, the the way we use our technology, we're, we are so connected. Like our experiences are med- of life are mediated by technology in a way that all of human history has not had this kind of mediation. I mean, right now I am talking in a microphone, reading off a computer with my phone in my hand. Okay, that this kind of like mediated being um, has never, you know, we're, we're experimenting with what this experience of being human is today, which is very different than what the experience of being human in Jesus's time was. What are we connected to? And, and Jesus here says, you know, no one knows the Father the way the Son does, nor the Father the way the, uh, nor the Son the way the Father does. But then he says, but I'm not keeping it to myself. So not only is there, not only is there tenderness in what Jesus is saying to, to those that are still gathered or not, you know, pissed off at his passive aggressive prayer, but there's no exclusivity in what he's saying. So, uh, he he offers this um, he offers this snapshot into his connection with the Father, right? His connection with God, and he's saying, "But uh, yeah, I'm not keeping I'm not keeping this to myself. I'll go over it line by line with anybody that's willing here to uh, to sit here and listen." Uh, and I think um, you know his his willingness to. Uh, approach a group of people and and offer this proposal shows how how free, how much freedom and grace there is in this space. You know, um, the uh, Saint Augustine, you know, said something to the effect of, uh, you know, to search for God is to have found God. Uh, that it really um, comes down to the approach to life, um, perhaps a a humility or a tenderness to life in following Jesus. Not, not as some sort of like uh, exclusive path to the Father, right? Like to go through Jesus is to get to God. Uh, but Jesus as somebody who is offering a way of being in the world that connects you to the source, that connects you to God and to yourself. And then he says in, in verse 28, you know, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Uh, I know none of us have ever felt that way. Uh, I know many American Christians have never, never felt uh, tired or worn out or burned out on on religion, uh, which we have all been there, right? And if you if you think that you haven't been there, you're just probably lying to yourself. Uh, so much of our culture, our world, our religion is so demanding. Uh, I mean, there is an incessant pressure from culture. Uh, it's something that I've I've talked about and mentioned before that we have 
um, you know, Thomas Merton had this, uh, this image that you'll, uh, like oftentimes American life is uh, climbing up a ladder to realize that it's up against the wrong building, right? Like we, we're told to climb the ladder to achieve, you know, so you go from, um, you know, now they have graduation. We didn't have graduations uh, when, when I was growing up for all the different, you know, grades from elementary school to junior high to high school, that kind of thing. Um, But same principle applies. You, you are supposed to succeed. So you move on to the next school and then your grades are really important because that'll really matter in high school. So your junior high grades, you know, that, that, you know, they'll really take a look at, no one ever takes a look at those grades, you know? So, but you know, it's the system that we're told that this next thing is the most important thing because then it'll really set you up for success in high school. And then your grades in high school, oh man, you're not going to be able to get in college, get into college if you don't have good grades in high school. So you got to, you, you know, set you up for a ton of pressure in high school. And we just, we just burn out our our kids uh, in this system, and then and then you do it right. You win. You get into a good college. You go to college. You might take on a lot of debt, uh, but then they say, "Well, you know, good grades in college that'll set you up for you know success in in the workplace." And then you have to scratch and claw your way to find an internship. And then if you get a good enough internship, well, that'll look good on your resume, so that when you're done with college, then you'll get a great job. So it's like. We put so much pressure, um, and I forget who it was, but I was a couple of years ago. I was listening to somebody talk, and, and basically, they're making the, the the point that this this system is it's so it's so ingrained and so automatic that we've turned um, we've turned our like kids and our 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 system into uh, such a competitive. I mean, you're you're just everybody else is in this in society is a competitor to you. So, um, it, it creates a sort of like warlike mindset among, among young people, particularly, um, that have to, to live in this world. And like, the question is, well, over time, that kind of ingrained approach to life, like, what does that do to people? And I think we know, like at the very best, it just wears them out and burns them out. Um, because you're just competing for like a very, very thin slice of the pie so that you can survive, you know, particularly like in your twenties, um, after you've been so successful your entire life, right? You did all the right things. You climbed up the, 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 to the top of the ladder, and then you get to a place in your, your twenties or your thirties, and you realize that it was pushed up against the wrong wall the entire time. Right. So, um, much of American society in the way that we sort of, uh, our approach to life is, it is a, a ladder climbing. And the question is, is it up against the wrong wall? Um, that's a, that's an incessant pressure from culture. Just an, just one example. I mean, that's not even, you know, that doesn't have anything to do with the economic pressures, the other cultural pressures, uh, the political environment, you know, what we're all going through right now with the pandemic, um, you know, for young people, uh, social media, you know, what kind of, uh, long-term ramifications, uh, does social media have on your view of who you are when you're constantly seeing yourself through a reflected lens of likes. So I take a picture, I put it on social media, I put it out into the world, and then I get reflected back in likes and comments, my value, my worth, all that kind of stuff. That's a different kind of pressure that people just haven't had to to go through in that way. 
And we're putting our, our young people under that kind of uh, system. So not to mention a 24-hour news cycle. I mean, we could go on and on and on and on. So the to get back to the text, like how is the way that how is the way of life that Jesus is describing different from what our culture today offers? How how is the way of life that Jesus is describing here, or not even the way of life, like like it's like an approach to life, um, a posture towards life. Um, and I keep thinking back of that word tenderness. And just how how it's such a strikingly it's such a strikingly different uh, posture towards life than the competitive dog eat dog um, way that many of us, or at least the way that I grew up, um, understanding like your posture towards life. Like um, if if that person succeeds, you don't succeed. They're taking your seat at the table. It's like um, uh, it's like musical chairs, right? Right. Like you, you go around and if somebody else gets the chair, you're out of the game. And I think so much of American life, uh, can be the approach is, is that, um, and so I, I keep thinking back to this, uh, posture of tenderness. Like what, if, what if we taught, uh, a posture of tenderness to, to our children, to the world? Like what if we spoke and lived in that kind of way. I know Josh Trujillo, he, he loves the Karen, <laughs> he loves all the Karen videos. Uh, and I know that so many people have seen these Karen videos. Uh, so if you haven't, Google it. Uh, but, you know, the, the video that came out this week that I know you probably saw was the, the couple in St. Louis, I think, and they were on their front lawn, both with weapons. The husband had like an assault weapon and the woman had a handgun and a mustard stain on her shirt. And there were protesters outside of their house and they were just pacing up and down their front yard with weapons. And that's an extreme version of a posture, a violent posture towards life. But I actually wonder if it's it's a product of a larger cultural message. And how is the way of life that Jesus is describing different from what our culture today offers? And I think it's worth, um, I think it's worth looking at why Jesus offers rest. And he says, you know, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Like, um, like I'll teach you how to live lightly and freely. I offer rest. Uh, so tenderness, rest, these are postures uh, that I think Jesus is getting at when he's talking about this, this intimacy or this connection to, to God, to source, to uh, the true self, uh, this exploration of this exploration of God that uh, Augustine talked about. To search for God is to find God. And we know uh, that, that in that there is a genuine humility, that there is a posture. And I think that it's interesting that Jesus specifically offers rest. Um, most of the great spiritual traditions have some sense of um, to lose your life is to find your life. 
to, to let go, to rest, to settle, is paradoxically where we are able to um, become more connected, right? And we've talked about it before during the pandemic, but we have uh, so much time uh, in this season of life to, to rest in some new way. And even in spite and in, in, in midst, in the midst of all of the anxiety that's around us, um, there's still a call to rest. Thinking back on, you know, uh, Eugene Peterson doesn't have it here, but this text is the one that says, you know, Jesus says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Thinking of the, the commentary from, um, from, from Dr. Molina, the professor from theology, the yoke is metaphorically um, the stand-in for what controls your life. So Jesus saying, you know, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Um, he's offering a way, a posture towards life, a way of being in life that is not controlled. It's not manipulated. It's, it's one in which... Um, it precipitates a movement of letting go. Um, you know, I, we often think about, you know, Mission Hills, we've talked about um, the way Andrea talks about uh, yoga. It's, it's a flow. It's, it's letting go. Um, the yoke in um, the Hebrew understanding, um, one way to think about this is uh, it would have been connected to Deuteronomy. Uh, Deuteronomy would have been um, a Hebrew understanding of yoke. So um, in Deuteronomy 6, 4, uh, the, the people say, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. The Lord is our God or the Lord alone. Um, and that would be kind of like a, a refrain, a, a mantra. It's like a yoke and a posture to live by. The Lord is our God, the Lord is one. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Um, and that's a way of thinking about yoke. What, what, what is the controlling idea of your life? Like when you think about your, your pattern for, um, for happiness or your, your emotional uh, patterns for happiness, your, um, your default mechanism when you get angry, like whenever you get angry, like what is the first, like do you um, slam the door and walk outside or do you uh, yell or do you get really quiet and go into the other room? Like, what are those default mechanisms that control your life? What are the controlling ideas? And for the Hebrew people, it was this idea, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Um, and Jesus is saying, hey, you know, my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The controlling idea of, the, of Jesus's posture towards living um, you know, he, he has this line in Eugene Peterson's uh, version. Let me find it. Uh, you know, come to me and learn the unforced rhythms of grace. So it's, it's interesting because it's, it's a little paradoxical, even in its uh, phrasing here in the message. You know, you have to learn, right? You have to, you have to practice, but you, you're practicing something that's natural. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. It's not, it's not forced. Um, so much of uh, our culture is forcing. It's like forcing the puzzle piece that, that doesn't quite fit into the puzzle. Like, looks like it's going to fit. And it's like, well, if I can just like 
I can just like muscle it in there, it'll work. And this posture that Jesus is talking about is learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Learn, learn how to be in the flow of things. Learn how to be connected to source. Uh, Jesus says, you know, the son knows the father and the father knows the son, but I'm not keeping it to myself. And then he says later, I won't lay any heavy or ill-fitting on you, anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. There's no, um, there's no requirements in this posture towards life, right? It's only unforced rhythms of grace. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live rightly and freely. So with this, like Jesus has these ideas of work and walking with him, learning. Um, so it's not, um, I want to be careful because it's not right. It's not saying that this is uh, carefree or passive. We talk uh, so much about active practice and social justice, like the main commandments from Christ are to love God and love your neighbor as yourself, right? So it is a process uh, and a posture of letting go, you know, shedding off so much of our cultural and religious um, assumptions, right? It's taking off all of these layers, deconstructing to try to to try to reconstruct something. But it's not it's not passive. It, it's very active. But you can't have um, the way of being is you can't muscle the puzzle piece in before you you learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Those actions, though the the work of justice in the world comes from spending some time with the unforced rhythms of grace letting go, uh, discovering your true self, uh, searching for God and finding God. And then from that flow is the outpouring of the work of justice, of the work of love. Um, I think so many people in, in church and even in good uh, works of social justice, they burn out really quickly because there's no there's no connection to source. There's no uh, deeper well of rest from which the work then comes from. Um, Taylor Deschardins uh, says this, And so for the first time in my life, perhaps, I took the lamp and leaving the zone of everyday occupations and relationships where everything seems clear, I went down into my inmost self, into the abyss, the deep abyss, whence I feel dimly that my power of action emanates. But as I moved further and further away from the conventional certainties by which social life is superficially illuminated, I became aware that I was losing contact with myself. At each step of the descent, a new person was disclosed within me, of whose name I no longer was no longer sure, and who no, no longer obeyed me. And when I had to stop my exploration because the path faded from beneath my steps, I found a bottomless abyss at my feet. And out of it came a rising, I know not from where, the current which I dare call my life. Ooh, that is, uh, that is so good. I will post the, um, I'll post the quote in the show notes. From the first time in my life, I took the lamp and leaving the zone of everyday occupations and relationships, he goes down into this abyss. And at the end of it, he finds this current. is a deep abyss, but this current 
of his life. Um, Deschardin was a, uh, a Catholic priest and an anthropologist and, and geologist, uh, and kind of a, kind of a, a mystic in his own right. Um, but he, he taps into this idea, I think, that we're talking about of, of letting go, losing your life in order to find it, learning the unforced rhythms of grace, um, searching for God in order to find God, approaching life with humility and tenderness and the willingness to let go, um, understanding that we have to um, throw off and deconstruct so much of the cultural pressures that we have that we have to realize that the ladder is up against the the wrong wall in order to do some deep exploration, in order to find our lives and then live our lives. Uh, Soren Kierkegaard, a great uh, theologian, uh, said this, It seems, though, as I had not drunk from the cup of wisdom, but what had fallen into it. It seems that I had not drunk from the cup of wisdom, but I had fallen into it. Uh, Wendell Berry uh, writer and and farmer and uh, just all around fascinating person, mystic, uh, wrote this. The Zen student, the poet, the husband, the wife, none knows with certainty what he or she is staying for, but all know the likelihood that they will be staying for a while to find out what they are staying for. And I hear in Wendell Berry this... Uh, willingness to to have the faith to stay a while right um there is there is an aspect of letting go of of certainty in order to in order to find out what we're staying for so what are we connected to what are what are we controlled by are we controlled by old understandings of who God is? Are we controlled by um, our emotional patterns of happiness? How do we learn to let go and discover who we are in Christ, to learn or remember the unforced rhythms of grace, to settle into a kind of flow with tenderness, with humility, with rest, how do, how do we even approach life with a posture of rest, of letting go? Uh, Thich Nhat Hanh has this uh, image of you as a pebble being thrown into the river, and you naturally sink to the bottom and rest. You do what pebbles do, thrown into the river, and you sink to the bottom and you rest. Jesus is teaching us how to be human, how to do what humans do. It's a posture towards life. It's a way of being in the world to do what humans do. Jesus is leveraging a social and cultural and religious critique, and he's saying, well, I'm connected in this certain way, uh, but it's not exclusive to me. Like, walk with me, work with me, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I'll teach you how to do what humans do. If we can discover the flow, find our true self, the search for God is to find God. 
the letting go is simple. Maybe not easy because we have a lot to throw off. But Jesus says, like, I won't put any heavy, anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. All right. Well, I think we will leave it there. Uh, I hope there was some food for thought in there. Um, I know it was a little rambly this week, but uh, I hope to see you on Zoom 10 a.m. on Sunday and our last Zoom of the summer, uh, 7 p.m. on Wednesday. Uh, Be well. And as we approach this week, may we love God, embrace beauty, and live life to the fullest. See you soon.